What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York. Joining me, as always, be the miracles of modern technology. It's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good, man? Hi, I'm chilling. My desk is covered in Hickman X. Don't uh, lie, books. though. Your, your desk is always covered in some sort of nerdy shit or other. My, my desk is usually <laughs> covered in Legos, and I've had to move things around so I can fit all of the Hickman X stuff, Yeah, um, which is now doubling as an armrest because there, is, there are that many <laughs> books that we're, <laughs> that we're going to be thinking about uh, today. But other than that, I'm doing well. I've slowed my comic reading over the last week and a half because we're getting ready for, for this uh, special episode today and my imagination misses it yeah um, i've only read one book <laughs> and it was awesome and i've noticed a uh, change in myself that i've gotten really empathetic or something like when people are going through like emotional stuff in the comics that i'm reading i'm like really feeling it more this in the last like month and a half okay half, like ever okay uh, okay and what peter parker is going through in the book that i just read i'm like <gasps> I know, I know. <laughs> Man. So it's been it's been an emotional one. Having week. some feels. Having some feels. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Yeah. My week has been pretty low-key as well. We ended our run of really nice weather in Brooklyn, and it's just been absolute shit again the last few days. So mm. kind of tamps down, you know, the excitement of going out and doing things. But yeah, I'm also really excited to introduce, uh, for the first time ever, we have a guest uh, joining us, also from Brooklyn, New York. It is, uh, I'm sorry, we edit heavily, so <laughs> I forgot to ask before. How do you pronounce your last name? I'd, I'd like to know that as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we'll keep that in. <laughs> uh, I've been going by Fragascottis. I don't know. I think Fragascottis. Okay. It's, it's the same thing for me. Like, if you ask my Norwegian ancestors, I'm sure it's supposed to be pronounced like Sturmuen. But yeah, uh, yeah Stormen. Well, I know it's pronounced in Greek. It's Fragiskatos, but it just sounds obnoxious to do the enunciation. I got way. you. Joining us on the line, it's Dimitrios Fragiskatos. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Dimitrios is the owner of Anyone Comics here in Brooklyn in Crown Heights, my favorite local comic shop where I go every week to buy comics and play magic. He is also the writer and co-creator of Millennials, You Are Special, and also co-creator and uh, co-publisher of the Access Guide to the Black Comic Book Community, 2020 to 2021. D, it's really good to have you here, man. Thanks so much Thanks. for coming on the show. That's my pleasure. It's, uh, it's been uh, a refreshing thing having you as one of the people to uh, shop at my store, Steve. So, uh, <laughs> like, like, apropos of nothing, people think that to own a comic book store or to work at a comic book store, you need to know a lot about comics. Yeah, or care, or care a lot about comics. <laughs> I, I I actively dislike comics. But what you actually need to care about is uh, is people. Actually, that's what you need to care about. I hey. think. And, uh, I I I'm a, a fan of uh, a variety in personalities and like viewpoints and backgrounds and stuff. Uh, hence the name anyone comics. And uh, Steve, your anarchistic California 
tall <laughs> guy thing is, is, is certainly unique. <laughs> I, I have to say there are a lot of tall anarchists in California, but as one of the few who's made the jump across the country, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, uh, to be completely honest, anyone was one of the places, like one of the things that when we were looking for places to live in Brooklyn or, or in, in the city at all, I was looking around at what comic shops were in the area and I found anyone and I was like, oh, this is, this looks like a really awesome spot, you know, just Whoa. sight unseen, just Googling it and, and kind of seeing, you know, some of the things that you said about the blog and your mission, sta- mission statement, mailing list, you know, stuff like that pictures and so you know when we were looking around for places to live and i was like okay one contributing factor towards living in this sort of location area would be that uh i would be close to anyone comics and it ended up working out so yeah really 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 stoked to have it as a landing spot and to be a regular there i i I could relate every time i go i travel anywhere like whatever my girlfriend wants to go to whatever you know Austin, Texas, or yeah, or whatever. I always <laughs> secretly map <laughs> out a pathway to some landmarks or sites that go by a comic book store. Like I just even yeah. now, I just always have to <laughs> comic book store. But also, I can't be obvious because she's very tired of seeing comic book stores and stuff. <laughs> and so I always plan a shortcut that uh, you know. <laughs> takes us by one and hey you know oh, hey, look. <laughs> whoa look at this huh i have I mean, to we've stop by so i just have to check yeah so, <laughs> I mean, so just every time yeah so that kind of leads me into uh one of the first things i wanted to ask you about the the access guide but also kind of in your mission statement of running anyone comics you know, you, you really put community and accessibility first and foremost. What are some things that you've seen in other comic shops that do this well or do this poorly? Some either horror stories or really strong examples. So I do like to get ideas from other comic book stores. For example, uh, JHU in uh, Staten Island has a top 10 or 20 graphic novel section, bestseller section, right? Sure. And I like that. Um, I like the idea that there's some insight into what your community is reading compared to like, let's say the top 10 New York Times bestseller list. Another comic store that I really liked was uh, the Drawn and Quarterly store in Mm. uh, Montreal. They were kind of an inspiration for us even looking for the idea of an event space. I remember when I visited there, they had a calendar of events, including like art classes and stuff for kids or comic book classes for kids. John and Quarterly is a publisher. They publish like some really good high concept comics. They publish one of my yeah. favorite creators, Chester Brown. But like the idea that they don't exclusively sell their own stuff, they carry other books too. Like you would think by what the library is of Drawn and Quarterly that they're more like they would avoid superheroes or the right. But they but they carry everything there and they try to like elevate uh, the people in the neighborhood in Montreal. They try to like get them into comics in general. Another store that I really liked was um, Kamikaze, I think it's called, in Somerville, uh, Massachusetts. Okay. They added like signage all over the place. So, for example, you're looking at the shelf and there's uh, there's a sign that says Spider-Man is whatever, grew up in Queens and uh, gets bitten yeah. by Spider-Man. These are some very obvious things, but at the same time, like 
having that as a frame of reference, like almost like having uh, those talking cards at a zoo or in a mm. museum, like even if yeah. it's, it's it's cool, you know? So I like that. Personally, I like those intimidating comic book stores where there's tons of back issues and box filler place and you don't know how to like, you don't even want to touch anything because something <laughs> might jump at you or it's gross or disgusting or you, you're just afraid that there's some kind of a method to this mess and you don't want to be the person to disrupt it for fear yeah. of being or yelling at you. I like those stories because like, like I always find some weird shit I'd never heard of, but at the same time, like I'm in a position where I've read comics where I'm looking for that weird shit I'd ever heard of. Yeah. That's my kick. That's my fix right now. And so I think the primary duty of most other stores wanting to protect those, wanting to keep, wanting to keep those in a bubble uh, is to just create new fans so that they can get to that point where they do want to just find something, find something exciting and different and weird and new, you know? Totally. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What, what you were saying about the Toronto Quarterly store reminded me of a time that I went to a comic store that is also, you know, like, deals more in the the high concept type comics uh, over mm-hmm. in Williamsburg. I think you know the one. And oh. <laughs> I, I, I like him too. Like, I really like the personality, but like, hey, I wouldn't model, let's say, a store based on, uh, on his uh, business. I, I showed up with some comics in my backpack because yeah. I was meeting the artist for this comic that I'm working on, Milele mm-hmm. Jarvis. Uh, he was in town from Tokyo. And I was like, cool, let's hang out. And he's like, I want to go to this comic shop. I'm like, cool, I'll meet you there. And I like, got on my bike with a, you know, a backpack full of comics and I like biked there and struck up a conversation with the guy working there. I was like, Hey, like I'm a local creator. Can I sell these books here? And he basically like scoffed me off as not being indie enough because my books were in, you know, the saddle staple, like standard big two size basically. Yeah. And he's like, people here look for like, you know, the weirder shit. And I'm like, fuck all the way off. I have a fucking 3d printed penis gun on a Segway. Eat, <laughs> eat my farts. So that was it. Not it, indie enough. My God. There yeah. were two people involved with that comic. How indie do you need it? I literally showed up to your store <laughs> with my comics in a backpack. I'm the I, I may as well be plugging my fucking SoundCloud on the street corner. <laughs> the, the, but the reality is like he would know his audience and it's that's true else. That's true. Yeah. Like, like you're, you, you, you do have an indie book, but like, is he, like, he clearly doesn't care enough to want to explain the backstory to people and say, like, when they pick it up and scoff at it themselves, he doesn't want to be there and be like, no, 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 this guy showed up with the penis bicycle and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't have time for, he's got a hundred other books to uh, sell. Yeah, totally. So before I opened up the store in New York city, one of the more surreal experiences of my life was, uh, essentially meeting with all of the other comic book stores in New York city owners and not is all of them like at a, one. Is there like a cabal or something like there's the, no cabal, the... but like I basically needed to get, it felt like I needed to get permission from each one to operate in the territory I'm operating at, right. To get their blessing. That's a very... fucking cabal. Well, no, <laughs> you went, they, to, the, they you went to the five families and you said, right. They weren't working <laughs> together though. That's, there's no cabal. They hate each other. Yeah. I, okay. I, 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 I wanted to. I wanted to express that I wasn't aligned with any one family. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Great. So, I went to meet with one of the owners for Forbidden Planet. I already knew the owner for Midtown Comics. 
Yeah. I went out, out of the state in a couple of places in upstate New York. And so for the most part, they would just be like, they would ask me some business questions because essentially not to gatekeep, but so much as to like see how seriously they wanted to take me, which mm. was, they, they weren't asking me comic book related questions because anybody could Wikipedia the answers to comic book questions. <laughs> they yeah. were asking me more like logic business questions and stuff sure. like, what mm. would you do in this situation? Or how do you expect to get funding? So, but, uh, so at the end of it, I got the blessing of most people with the exception of that guy, man. Uh, really? He, he, he tried to convince me to open up in Coney Island, explaining that I'd make money three months out of the year, even though like it'd be dead for eight, you know, nine months out of the year, basically. Wow. Okay. And, and, and the best part of that was, uh, like a couple of months later, there was a bleeding cool article about a store opening up. And a, uh, a mutual friend of ours shared that article, and uh, he commented on his Facebook, like, wait, who's opening up in Crown Heights? I, I don't know about this person. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and so now you've been in business four years. Yeah, yeah. Going on yeah. five. Going on five. Congratulations, That's awesome. man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of comic shops don't last that long. Yeah, I, I, every single time a comic book store closes, I kind of race to meet with the owner mm. to see what he did to avoid that, right? And for yeah. the most part, I would say, like, so far, every single person I've talked to, it's always been that the, it seems like the entire attitude is you're always struggling. Comic books mm. is just simply not popular. It's not movies. Yeah. You're always yeah. struggling. And, and then at just at some point, you just decide it's not worth the struggle anymore. Like for the mm. most part, them leaving isn't as tragic as like the media would lead you to believe. I mean, mm. it's tragic for, yeah. I guess the neighborhood, but like, yeah. just simply like these guys don't want to do that hustle anymore. They loved it, but like, it's just time to let go at this point, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that makes sense. Usually re release them with stress. They usually mostly move on to eBay and just aren't mm. home all day and stuff. So not to mention actually unofficially here, I'll, 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 I'll break a news uh, article. Uh, oh, Sweet. Yeah, most most comic stores when they close, like when they close like to the public, those yeah. guys still for the most part keep their accounts is what I've learned and just still service their like tight circle of friends of com uh, comic book uh, customers and stuff too. Interesting. So you just become the neighborhood dealer. You just don't have a store dealer. anymore. Yeah. Look, look, look at it this way. Like how is this not great news? You lose the you you have your reputation, you have your steady income. Yeah. You, the overhead of having a comic book store you no longer need to prove anything by opening up accounts with other people and stuff and showing them proof that you have a physical store like at this point look at it from the magic angle wizards of the coast won't i don't believe as of now checks routinely sends like scouts to see if your store is still operational otherwise yeah. i'll stop giving you magic cards you, once you're in you're in you're part of yeah. the family you know right yeah and you got to yeah. provide the family money you got to give <laughs> wizard you know that that they're cut of the right, <laughs> that protection racket for sure. <laughs> if only John did that. I know, right? Yeah, we are mourning the loss of the of Avalon Comics, the the shop in Santa Barbara, California. We were both frequented, but he didn't have his own accounts. He he got distributed through a different shop in another town, next town down. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, even even less of a headache for him. I was also yeah. I was also a terrible pool customer. <laughs> oh, like, okay. 
my income wasn't as fluid as it is now. And so like my pull would get like months deep. And, you know, when you have a handful of of pool customers that are just like me, you're buying a whole bunch of stock and it's not coming off the off the racks because yeah, yeah. no one's coming in to actually buy their stuff. So I was a part of it and it's, I have like survivor's guilt of a store closing, but also a big target just opened up like a mile away. Um, mm-hmm. And that took a lot of his like foot traffic card sales. Um, what? Yeah. Like tabletop game sales and stuff. So there were other factors, but I was one of them. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Like that's been one of my uh, fears in, in one sense, like when we opened up, but it, I'm not really afraid of it now is that that kind of like lack of loyalty, like the lack of like keeping, like supporting your business as like a uh, more like a clubhouse than an actual, like look, like yeah. being able to decide just to go to target because they just have better deals and stuff. That right. like for me in the beginning of the store opening, I was super strict about basically I didn't want to cater to the whims of like just whatever the hottest thing was, the speculator mm-hmm. market, the people who come in and buy cards. And that's exactly who you lose when Target opens up a mile away. You lose all those guys. So if the majority of your business is people who just effectively want to take advantage of your store, not conscientiously, but just like buy your stuff cheap to sell it later. You know yeah. what I mean? Like then um, I, I don't, I don't think the business was ever going to last versus when we never like, again, catered to that, the people who made that decision to shop with us, knowing that they were never going to get the best deal at our store. I don't have any fear of them like leaving for any reason other than like, they just can't afford it and stuff. You know what I mean? Right. So totally. like we yeah. start off a lot w- with a lot less income for a very long time. I would say last year was the first time we ever were in the black. Wow. It, it took us a longer time to hit, to get in the black, but like all that stuff, all that uh, steady, that income was steady though. That the, the people who were shopping with us were definitely going to be shopping with us. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and right. that, 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 that made it uh, easier for us to survive the pandemic, uh, I guess. Long story short. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of stores didn't. So that's a hell of an accomplishment, man. Congratulations. So I wanted to ask you about the access guide here. First of all, can you just uh, talk me and Will through the concept of it? You mentioned here in your afterword that you compared it to uh, the Green Book. And I was curious sort of uh, where the idea came from and what convinced you that this was a service that the community needed. Frankly, the idea was, uh, has been there for a while, actually. Even going back to my Midtown Comics days, there was customers who preferred like buying books with black protagonists and stuff. Yeah. Right. And um, I remember one uh, one customer who became a really good friend of mine. His name is David, who fresh out of college when he would buy the I can't even remember. It must have been like a terrible cyborg comic or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why are you buying this, man? It's, it, it's not well written at all. And he said... And it was heartbreaking for me to hear, but he said um, that if I don't buy it, they'll stop making books like that for us. Mm. And that's the first time I heard that. And, and honestly, not the only time I've heard that. Um, sure. I even heard that. So there was also a, um, a customer of mine who uh, he, he, he described it more clearly. He's actually an actor on the TV show, The Good Fight. His name is Nyebi. Oh, wow. 
Mm-hmm. I remember he was telling me about the Nighthawk comic written by uh, David Walker. Yeah. Um, David Walker is definitely one of the best writers, period. He, he is black. He's uh, from uh, Portland. He's most recently collaborated with Bendis on, uh, Brian Michael Bendis on, uh, I think, the Young Justice comic and stuff. So he told me he was buying comics with black, like he always bought comics with black guy stuff, right? Like, you know, Cyborg, Black Lightning, whatever. Right? Sure. He picked up Nighthawk. Nighthawk is Marvel's variation of Batman from an alternate reality. Right. Uh, Nighthawk in the reimagination by J. Mike He's a black, rich Bruce Wayne type person. His parents are killed by uh, these uh, white nationalists. Mm-hmm. And so when he fights crime, it's specifically crime that targets the black or other POC communities and stuff, right? Yeah. And so uh, in Sarinsky's story, that's the reason why Hyperion slash Superman kind of confronts him and says, like, you should be fighting crimes in general, right? But David Walker writes a Nighthawk comic. It doesn't unfortunately last long. Um, it's around 2017. And uh, Niambi was telling, was relaying how he like, he picked it up and uh, started reading it and then goes, wait, what? Like he picked it up as a routine, right? Mm. He picked it yeah. up with a certain expectation. And so he reads it, he reads the dialogue and he goes, wait, is this guy David Walker a brother? He flips through it and he's like, and he does a little bit of research and he becomes one of the biggest David Walker fans immediately after that. Right. That's awesome. And uh, David Walker's currently writing Bitter Root, which is like a kind of Harlem Renaissance Ghostbusters indie book. It's also super popular right now from Image yeah. Comics. Nyambi just wants, he buys from multiple stores and he always wants Bitter Root from all stores stuff. Right. But like, he's echoing something that I heard that I hear repeatedly. Right. And so there's clearly a desire to, you know, to see yourself represented in books, right? And the other thing is there's books out there that are that need an audience. There's so many indie books, as you well know, Steve, that are <laughs> looking for an audience. And um, just this is like a perfect match. Like how much more impressed can a person be when not only do they see themselves represented, but the language of the comic and of the characters in the comic actually matches their own as well yeah. right that's that's another level that's like that that speaks to you 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 now feel like you're part of that world at that point mm-hmm. and to me comic books has always been maybe the best way to directly connect a wide audience to some like fringe ideas i mean you know, if you really look at what comics have done, there's so many, so much variation. If we just sit there, like, forget yeah. what's being put in what we're seeing, but like the, the, the weirdness, like the, <laughs> the fact that Desert Island can turn down Steve's book simply because he took the effort to make it look like a standard comic. <laughs> because, <laughs> because the only one to deal with like these fringe comics yeah. shows so much variety, you know, than ever. It's something, it's an idea that I was sitting with. And frankly, it's an idea that I just never, that I thought should have always been out there. I never wanted to be involved with it directly. But when um, the pandemic happened and we got the money from the PP loan that they were giving small business stuff, right? Mm, yeah. We ended up not needing it because of the support of our, again, we had really strong support after, uh, during the pandemic and stuff, right? Yeah. So- I ended up not dipping into the loan and fulfilling the loan's obligations. So then we had that income 
and I talked to a customer of mine, uh, Joe Illage, yeah. who is the current editor of Heavy Metal. This yep. dude's a legend. I, yeah. I, I pitched the idea. Like, like the, the original idea was for me to give him the idea and let him go with it. Yeah. Fund it, fund the publishing. And, uh, but he was, he's there, I would say, at maybe all the major touchstones of uh, Black comics and stuff, right? He was there for Milestone's uh, Inception. He was there for Line Forge in 2010, where a Black-owned publisher launched another superhero universe. Unfortunately, there isn't much left of superhero project. Line Forge is still around. They merged with Oni Press. He was there in, uh, with Valiant, which had some really good stories. And yeah, he's currently there at Heavy Metal and stuff. So he's had a part of like so much of the industry. And so like I didn't even plan on him being there to help me with the research and stuff of the book, but rather to help guide me to who would be the person, right? Right. You know, whatever our budget was, we weren't, we're not a big publisher at all. So then we recruited one more person, George Carmana, our designer, who's actually a reporter for um, Comic Speed and other pop culture sites. Yeah. And uh, just the three of us did it ourselves and stuff, right? Like Joe and George, like I, I, I didn't want to be, who's that guy? The Sean King of comics, right? (laughs) (laughs) Will being not political doesn't get this reference. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I don't want to be that guy. So like, I really did my best to like, try to uh, take a back seat and like, let the work be the focus. But Joe is really great at getting attention. And so he's constantly putting the book in the spotlight. He's, he got us, he helped uh, get us an article in Forbes magazine, man. That like, that's amazing. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, he just knew the ins and outs of like being um, effective in the media stuff. Right. So that's, that's where the access guide, I guess, overall came from. And what it's supposed to be is uh, essentially an index, an objective listing, right? After the death of George Floyd, um, yep. all yep. these companies came forward, you know, extending their support and stuff, right? But look past the words, just look at the facts, right? Like we weren't we weren't putting them on trial. We were just listing for people what is actually there that is representative stuff. We weren't like, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, uh, Joe did a report card actually in medium.com <laughs> for publishers but this wasn't meant to be a report this is more like this is the research this is the data that you can draw your own conclusions from and we also reached out to every publisher creator or as many as we could stores to narrate their own story themselves we had Mm -hmm. a objective line of questioning they would tell us based on their answers what we were going to put uh in on their pages and stuff yeah so the meat of the book it's just a long sort of collection of comic you know both titles and then by uh, black creators with black protagonists and all of the black creators within them, their names are bolded so that right. you can, you can see. And I thought that was really cool. And then also you have sort of statements from the publishers of each of those books. And then at the end you have statements, uh, sort of a collection of black owned comic shops. Yeah. Uh, that, that was important to me. And that was like maybe the most rewarding thing uh, about this. Like, I've become very, um, I guess, jaded in the comics industry. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, for, for those who don't know, Demetrius's Twitter handle is comics pessimist. 
So like it, it warmed my heart to, well, okay. In warm my heart, I was impressed with the industry that there was more than five black owned comic book stores. When we went forward with this, we were like, okay, what we need to do is figure out what the black owned comic stores are, but also what the safe spaces are. Mm. And the criteria for that is, isn't like a store telling you, Hey, we're a safe space, whatever we have. Word. We would, it would need an endorsement. The, the decision that we had initially was that it would need an endorsement from a creator or something like that to tell us like, yeah, you know, David Walker says this book is whatever phantasm comics in Seattle is one of the best ones. I don't, I don't know, whatever it is, but Having found 20 comic book stores, we were like, all right, all right, our industry isn't as terrible as we thought it would be, you know? That's great, man. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. But talking to the comic stores, that, that's what warmed my heart. Like just finding experiences that I related to, finding out that some of the Black-owned comic stores were around for 20, 30 years and just have the support of their uh, town or community and stuff was very heartwarming. There was a dude in uh, Mississippi, I think. We've been around for 30 years, doesn't have a website, doesn't have, has no social media presence whatsoever. Uh, yeah. He called, he called himself a, you say it was a, uh, like a wagon shop. He said something like that. Like he's just so old fashioned. Might as well have been from the back of a wagon. <laughs> like <laughs> Amazing. And when we needed pictures of his shop, since we couldn't find it online, I mean, we could find it on Google maps, uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> He, he, he mentioned a uh, local news broadcast about the store event. So we had to pull pictures from the news broadcast. To- wow. <laughs> yeah. Hey, talk about indie. That's amazing. Yeah, man. Oh, man. And then when I got off the phone with that guy, he goes, wait, so where are you from? I go, uh, Brooklyn. He goes, is it true? I swear to God. He goes, is it true that people in New York don't have cars? And I go, yeah, I don't when I take the bus and the train. And he goes, well, how about that? How about that? Isn't that something? <laughs> something? He goes, I thought I heard everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, uh, hey, Will, I don't mean to put you on the spot or anything, but... Uh, uh, but here, but I'm going to put you on the spot. But, but I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. <laughs> I'm I'm just curious if being a a black comics fan, any of this resonates with you, or uh, how any of this sits with you. Well, dude, it's funny. So in Santa Barbara, there's like 73 black people, <laughs> and <laughs> a town um, of 100,000. Yeah, wow. I think I think we're all. I think we're only at like 90,000. So come on. Okay. But anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, the ideas never crossed my mind that there are black owned comic book shops like anywhere. <laughs> Heaven yeah, yeah. forbid I could go to the South into the, a black community and there might be a comic book shop. Anyway. So I guess I never actually thought about the existence of a black comics community. Mm-hmm. Um and again, being in Santa Barbara, like I'm just kind of a product of my environment. I'm used to being the only black person in my circle of friends, except for Stacy because she's amazing. But like uh, <laughs> the subject of race doesn't really come up. And I hate to like admit that, like, you know, when Black Panther came out and 
so many of my black friends just lost their minds about how amazing it is that we have we finally have a black superhero and in my head i'm i've been like we've always had black superheroes guys yeah. <laughs> you just haven't been in the community <laughs> like like i grew up on storm and 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 black panther and all these amazing uh black heroes that i've grown up with there's no like just because just because they're now on the big screen doesn't mean they weren't around but then to see the actual you know societal impact that it did have i was like oh my gosh you know maybe this could be a thing and i've never sat and kind of leaned into that of the potential of giving more light to POC in comics and and I guess it, it puts it in a new light for me which I appreciate and I, I love having this conversation and I looked up your book and I'm gonna I'm gonna order it when we get oh, off of this pod <laughs> but I think that's really important and I and it's something that if Steve didn't leave me for New York and had <laughs> met you I never would have known that this book existed uh and I I think it it needs more light spotlight we we are a growing population and we being like black comic book creators and black comic influencers for lack of a better term uh and and i think there is somewhere we could go with that i said it's i appreciate being given the opportunity to have this conversation in the first place well what do, what do you think about the fact that uh Storm, a character created in like 1979, I think, or eight, is like the best well-written female, not even black female, maybe female character, but like Ever. the last one that's been really good is 1979. <laughs> one that's as good since. I mean, well, it's because she's consistent. I mean, it's not like it's not like they stopped using her. Like right. I, it, w- it would be more bothersome if she had like a five-year run on the X-Men and then she's just been forgotten to time. But, but I look to characters like her and T'Challa as the inspiration for having more Black young superheroes. Like you have someone like Eli Bradley and Isaiah Bradley were like, I don't think their story could have really been told without a, a someone that paved the way like, a storm or a black panther that's true but i i think i'm more interested in the fact that like eli and isaiah haven't had the impact storm has and yet they were conceived for a modern audience and so the idea is of like that they should be more actively reaching a modern audience yet the modern audience is gravitating towards somebody from right. the 70s, you know what i mean like yeah somebody had a prime in the 80s ultimately with the yeah mohawk yeah. and no powers yeah yeah, that Claremont run, oh, incredible! And yeah, no, nobody's nobody's written Storm quite like you know this stodgy old British white British guy. <laughs> yeah, like like look, look at look at like Miss Marvel, right? In contrast, Miss Marvel was like Marvel set out a goal. Sana Aminat, G Willow Wilson, mm-hmm. they said we're going to create a Muslim superhero. We're going to make her relatable. We're effectively going to make the new Spider-Man for a younger generation. Yeah. Right now you can argue miles was that for the black and Latinx community. You can argue that, but 
Miles didn't really have his impact until like years after his exception. Miss Marvel had an impact right away. Storm yeah. had an impact right away and just maintained yeah. it. Then like no one was created afterwards. Yeah. And like Monica Rambeau, for example, was created and she had a, a run as a leader in the Avengers, but then like they nearly abandoned her in the nineties and stuff. Um, Blue yeah. Marvel could have been that guy where they created him for 2006, but they never kept him consistent. So like, I don't know. Like, like to me, it bothers me. There hasn't been like this kind of active push for someone more modern, someone of color, but of more, you know, for more modern structure for more modern audience. You know, I feel like a lot of that goes to exactly kind of what you're highlighting in the access guide is, you know, a lot of these characters weren't created or written by black creators or with the like glaring exception of like Dwayne McDuffie, whose foundation you're, you know, oh, yeah. donating, donating the proceeds here. Like there was just so few black creators in that sort of middle period. And it ended up like really reflecting this sort of post-racial politics of the nineties that we needed to, to throw off in order to have, you know, a new civil rights movement today, essentially, in my opinion. Hmm. I think what helped make Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel so relatable is and again, to even to your point of her being like the next Spider-Man for the new generation is I feel like they spent more time with Kamala than they did with Miss Marvel mm-hmm. when they first started the book. And mm-hmm. you have characters like Blue Marvel and, and Monica. I didn't read early Monica Rambeau stuff, but I feel like they spent more time with the superhero than they did the civilian side. Quote, for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah, there um, isn't much early Captain Marvel. As much as people like remember her fondly now, there isn't much in the 80s. Like past the yeah. Avengers, there aren't very uh there aren't many appearances of her. Yeah, and with like Miles, he was very relatable in Ultimate Marvel in 1610, and we get to see him slowly get to the point where he's like, Okay, I'm gonna be Spider-Man after Peter Parker died. But the number of people that read Marvel 616 and the number mm-hmm. of people that read Ultimate Marvel, especially post-Ultimatum Ultimate Marvel, which is where we get Miles Morales, mm-hmm. uh, people just don't, they're not spending any time with Miles. It's a niche they're within only, a niche within only, a yeah. niche. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're only spending time with Ultimate Spider-Man. And I think that's where introducing new characters falls short a lot is we don't spend any time getting to know who they are behind the mask. Kamala did that a lot. That, that makes sense because there's a lot of like, a, a lot of modern comics compared to like, again, 80s, 90s comics is very uh, short-sighted. Um, mm. It's all about getting those immediate sales. Like yeah. you're conceivably ever going to get 12 issues on your new comic, no matter what it is, right? Yep. Maybe if you're lucky, possibly six issues. Whereas there was in the 80s, like more room for them to breathe and stuff for them to be a little bit more developed before they, you know, so like, so maybe that's yeah, why. If, if they, if they introduced a new title, we've, we've talked about this because I'm doing my 98 reread and it's like, oh my God, X-Man lasted 80 issues and it was never good. And there was never a good idea there. And it was just like, once they started a title, there was an expectation that it kept going. Like it had to like fail spectacularly to cancel it. It wasn't, they wouldn't just like launch it for a year and then reassign the creators and elsewhere. It was okay. We've got a book. We have to support it until it's canceled. 
Well, as far as I know, X-Men was canceled because of the uh, 90s uh, crash, right? Like, I don't think it was even, I think it would have lasted longer if Marvel sold it. But like, X-Men yeah. did not die on its quality at all, man. Also, I could probably defend X-Men to you, actually, if, if you need what? to. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Oh, Lord. He is, he is, I, we went over this on the last pod, but he is my, my number one case study in indefensible comic book characters, because the way I see it, if you have one of these three strikes, you're pushing it, right? Mm-hmm. Clones, alternate realities, and time travel. Where where did you come up with that metric? That's that's just your own conjecture, or that's my uh, own. That yeah, you're just straying into convoluted comic book plot bullshit to the point where like it takes so much time to explain to the reader who the fuck this is and why we mm-hmm. should what's going on and why we should care. That it's care, distracting yeah. from being able to tell a story. And in this case, you're you're literally giving an alternate universe version of cable no one cares about x-man on his own it's just the what if of what cable could be and that's yeah, what if cable without a techno organic virus right except, except that during uh onslaught we decided that x-man and uh i guess it was ben riley or spider-man a uh, peter parker maybe yeah it was are, peter parker so him and peter parker are somehow they bonded, they connected because of their like lives, like despite their backgrounds and uh, the, the the lack of depth in uh, X-Men, suddenly like him and Peter Parker are like BFFs, they've decided at that I th- point. I right? thought it was just because Spider-Man was like, his whole arc was about growing up. He He had successfully turned himself into a person with like depth and history. It's about the interiority, which X-Man being literally an infant, like, <laughs> like he's been alive for like six months. There's no person there. And he and Peter Parker takes him under his wing to be like, oh, you want to do good things here? Here's how it's done. Here's how you to be an adult. That yeah. was my read of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. P- P- Spider-Man always like always is there to elevate your sales and bring attention to your book. That's that's that, that, true. Not- that too. Yes. But how Harry Cavanaugh decided to uh, define their relationship was like, as if like, you know, these guys, they're about, they, they look the same age. They're both prominent characters in their established uh, uh, little corner franchises and stuff. Therefore, they're friends. And then like the, the in-story reason that they bond is just the tragedy. Peter Parker's always uh, bemoaning Gwen Stacy and Uncle yeah. Ben, right? X-Men lost an entire universe. Uh, he feels like he's being manipulated and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, the universe right? sucked anyway. Whatever. <laughs> but and, yeah, ew, right and they kept it around anyway. Look, X-Men, X-Men 1 through 4 established that he had some very close friends over there, right? Yeah, you know? that's true. That's you true. wanted to go back to. Yeah, um, that's true. Have you ever read uh, The Incal? Uh, by yeah, uh, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually in the middle of it. I, I've, I've picked it up and flipped through it like for for years because yelena the the artist my first comic the prose uh it's her favorite mobius is her favorite artist yeah it's a lot of people's favorite artists um yeah what's interesting about incal yohodorowsky and all that stuff is um how the storytelling is more stream of consciousness yes americans are like very obsessed with structure and making sense so an american reader will like arbitrarily decide that time travel clones and alternate realities destroy your character, right? 
versus Podorowski introduces all those like random elements and stuff. Okay, but 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 but, but this isn't a European comic. It's not telling a stream of consciousness story. It's telling it, it, what's it, trying to be a plotted, structured story that not it's telling incredibly self serious. Okay, maybe I'll have to adjust my expectations when I go back to 1998 and read more X Men <laughs> because I am very much open. Will and I actually had this exact conversation because Alan Davis is very much like that too from the European tra- stream of consciousness tradition. Oh, he's and great. I, and, and, you know, you're reading this early Excalibur and it's like, and then this happened and then this happened. It's, yeah, like, a little kid tell, it's like a little kid telling a story. It's great. Uh, X of Swords is going to be like that. It is. Okay. For that's for worse. That's, or, that's or very rather, good. Or rather, it's, it's people who aren't Alan Davis attempting to be like that. Okay. So, so, so that's the thing. Like Hodorowski deciding that the Incal is going to be like, Okay, now we have a planet of, I don't know, talking rats. Oh, but now the, the pyramid transformed to an egg. Oh, and out of the egg is uh, born uh, John the Fool's uh, evil opposite, who's a woman. Yeah. I, and, I, and, like, and all of the all of the dialogue is like, of course, this is ha- this has what happens. Yeah, and this yeah. happens and this happens it, yeah. because this happened. There's an egg. Of course, there's an egg. Why? Because we're uh, here. <laughs> uh, uh, Steve, X-Man yeah. is America's in-cow. Fuck, dude! You just blew my mind. I wow. I dude, I, will, I don't know. I will I give don't this. Know. I will give this reading a, sh- a square uh, shot. I will from uh, from the like half of a comic book conversation we've had since I've met this man. There's part of me that that thinks he's just trolling you. Don't even. <laughs> the the completionist in me says go and finish it because i want you to finish it but yeah that's inevitable because fuck me but dude an american reader like yourself needs to know there's a roadmap or a plan right (sighs) but there understand that after issue four of x-men there is no plan except that that's clear i think he knows that yeah it's just (laughs) he's like I, okay, I get the feeling that Steve is waiting for the so what. Not even the so what. Like the inkle, right? It's it's about the like the depth of imagination. Like there's new shit to look at all the time. There's cool things that they're drawing and they're pulling in, and it's a real yeah. grand sort of like when you're making a '90s X Men comic and you're yeah. one of. 13 90s x-men comics on the market that are all being released monthly there's Mm -hmm. nothing interesting or new that you can do there like judging from pure like quality of ideas or even quality of uh, i i like steve scross's art but like it's it's not like it's not mobius it's not there's no i don't know i don't see just within the the quality of art and writing a justification for it to exist. I don't even need it to be, to, to be, I don't need it to be like a grand plot or something that is clever or, you know, like justifies itself in its position in, in the meta story of the Marvel universe or any of these things. It's just like, well, I find this that, character tiresome. <laughs> that's what Warren Ellis does the latter, but like the book X-Men on a month-to-month basis has 
no purpose except to exist. That in itself is an existential crisis, man. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, it, like, no, you know what? You're actually this is actually working to sell me on this. Just the <laughs> it's about the futility and absurdity of artistic creation within like, the market. Like, God. <laughs> literally, there's nothing but a uh, what do you call it? A copyright protection purpose for this book to exist. It's literally <laughs> to prevent Valiant, who came dangerously close, Exo Man Award, <laughs> right. From from then moving Exo Manowar to X Men, it's literally <laughs> that part. That that part isn't like you know about that. That's not certain. That's 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 my own conjecture. But uh, no, I think you're onto something. But so it's literally so they know that it needs to exist. They know that millions of moms buying a Hasbro or Toy Biz action figure are mis calling the Wolverine figure X-Man, asking the Toys R Us uh, uh, clerk for the X-Man wow. figure. Yeah. And they actually, and it's Wolverine. Wow. They, they no, know it that. makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so, they know, so they know they have to put, create a, an X-Man character to protect that copyright and to give possibly a new action figure or just increase market. That's okay. his whole person distance. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I am 100% with you. Here's the thing, though. Give that series to Peter Milligan, not Terry Kavanaugh. Peter Milligan does not exist. Like, he's a Vertigo guy. And, like... No, he did He did X-Force. Or X-Force, X which became Ecstatics. That was only yeah, a couple years later. He also, before that, did Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. He'd worked with, with Marvel previously. He didn't do Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. With uh, John Paul Leon. I don't know. You wrote that. Okay, cool. Anyway, whatever. That, that's a miniseries. <laughs> and like, there isn't much, uh, there isn't much stock uh, uh, put into people who are given miniseries. You're, you're, you're basically given a miniseries just to like, get you out of the way. You're, 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 you're the road back sure. to you by Bob Harris or whoever your editor is. Right. Yeah. Well, X, X, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Bob Harris being a whole different can of worms who, who works at the X office being who can get along with Bob Harris long enough without shooting themselves in the head. I mean, he uh, he's 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 prominent though. Like he was brought into DC Comics after, uh, right? I think Jim Lee was one brought during New Fifty Two and stuff. So, yeah. like, for whatever people thought of him, he he fills up the industry. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, Peter Milligan. Like again, this is this is going to be this is a guy who Marvel has decided is going to be Spider Man's best friend while he's <laughs> alive. They've saddled him with. The background, he's rooted in the X-Men's biggest story since uh, Inferno or something. They yeah. think song, right? They're not going to give it to this young Peter Milligan guy. They gave this guy, Peter Milligan, a story that takes place in the past that's Sinister's origin with a that's fantastic true. artist. That's true. Um, but Peter Milligan is not is not uh, prominent in any capacity. I think I don't know what Terry Cavanaugh did before, but I imagine it must have been a Spider-Man story. Right? I think, so you, no, I think he was just an he was from he was an editor. He was from the editorial side of the house. Okay. And so he was, you know, somebody who editorial could trust. And so they're like, hey, write a book. He'll, he'll edit a, a, a guy that makes even more sense because a guy who's yeah. editorial, like conceivably knows how to just keep it like all these is keep it going. Right. Yeah. Why did they give him? Why did he resurrect Madeline Pryor and attach him? Other than the fact that, like, it's exactly what I said. Yeah, she's she's a she's a discarded X Men character that's not being used in any of the books. So they 
put her into the story and stuff, right? They created a very like arbitrary reason that he's a Summers that, hey, clone and clone or something or clone and hey, he's a great. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then they said, hey, you know, we're kind of deep. Uh, Vertigo's popular. We're adult. Maybe there's an edible complex thing going on. That's how <laughs> we are, you know? Um, okay. Okay. Well, this is a deeper conversation on X-Men than I ever thought I would have <laughs> in my life. Um, <laughs> just hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're tasked with, you have nothing but the name. Yeah. You're Terry Cavanaugh. You're the most basic white guy in the history of the world and you've been given a prominent responsibility uh taking care of one of the biggest properties ever marvel tells you hey we got an we have a name it's x-men yeah no we don't know what to do with them we think he's gonna be related to cyclops and gene gray somehow shoot what do you what do you do with the character what's next it's, it's fascinating it's fascinating purely from like a how how do you squeeze the blood from the stone, right? Like how do you yeah. make this chicken shit into, into a chicken sandwich or whatever? That's like, what Terry Cavanaugh asked himself. Yes, what you're asking right now, Steve. Yeah, yeah, no, at, no, no. That part, that part is fascinating. And yeah. it, it's a large part of the reason why I am slowly forcing myself to read this era of X-Men anyway, because the short answer is none of it's good. Uh, <laughs> but 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 what who who what do you like who is this character marvel just said he's based on gene gray and uh he's, he's rooted in gene gray rachel summers cable whatever he's rooted in the summers family his name is x-man go what what do you do with them i'll tell you exactly what terry cavanaugh did but you what do you what would you do with them well will do you know what you would do with this character uh, oh man no, not off the top of my head. I would do some sort of character soul search thing. I I would probably he, he has to find his place in six one six somehow. He, he is so, I wouldn't make him best friends. Is him soul searching? Yeah, you, but, uh, I I would lean all the way into the absurdity of this, and I would go into the meta plots of how you know him fighting against the the utter pointlessness of his own existence and being and uh probably against editorial and the the moms at kmart who want to buy the action figure of x-man because they think that's what that was like, hilarious i think that's all of that example. goes into the best possible version of the x-man story i think well, that's-, that's i think that's the real text here and like so i'm gonna be reading the rest of it with that in mind, wishing well, it was that. Well, wishing- War- 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 Warren Ellis does do that, so you'll be pleasantly surprised towards the end. But I'll yeah. tell you what Terry, Terry Cavanaugh does. He's at the bar. He's got a crisis of faith, but he's reassured by Bob Harris and Scott Lobdell that no matter what you do, it's going to sell. It's an epic book. We're at the, we're, we're, we're at the wow. peak of our life. <laughs> it's Don't true. over. Don't overthink it. But he still has come up with the structure. So as he leans over to the bar, he notices playing on a television above Rebel Without a Cost starring Dame Dean. And, and he's he like, Leather Jacket, that's me. He's like, that's the guy. James Dean dies young. Yeah. That's fucking X-Men. And he, and he says, and he, and he makes it his life's mission 
to introduce this younger 90s audience to James Dean or any young, like 1950s black and white celebrity and yeah. say, that's this is the cool guy. You guys got cool guys wrong. Yeah. Here's what a cool guy is. He's 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 the crying boy, right? Is that the name of that movie? Crying boy or something? I guess that's true. He is kind of an antithesis to the more extreme than thou 90s protagonist. I didn't I didn't think of it that way, but he is he's not gritty. He's not tough. He's oh, powerful, but he's just this festering open wound of sadness. <laughs> he's he's yeah, he's the antithesis. He's like the other thing that uh, Terry Cavanaugh was told was like, yeah, it's going to sell, man. Like, what are people going to read? Young blood or wildcats or spawn? Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm I have wild action teams. You've done a substantial service that I didn't think I was going to get into giving me excitement to go back into 1998. I'm a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a salesman primarily, Steve. I'm sorry. It's it, it's it's remarkable. Uh, I did. <laughs> that wanna, was pretty impressive. That, <laughs> I did want to ask you about one more question about the access guide before we uh, just get, go all in on shooting the shit about comics, if you don't mind. Sure. But the access guide is like the complete opposite of what X-Men is about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is a very abrupt change of maybe, maybe I shouldn't even ask this question. I just want to. X- X-Men, X-Men is potentially what another like white nationalist uh, mass shooter would have had in his backpack if that whole shooting started shooter. Uh, I don't know if this is the right form for this. But. <laughs> you're good. You're good. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you about the, the reception to the access guide to, you know, anyone comics is in Crown Heights. It's a, you know, largely black neighborhood, historically black Afro-Caribbean. And you had the black comics festival recently at the shop and uh, been selling the book and just, the black community in your store. I just wanted to ask you uh, how the reception's been for all of this. So yeah, the reception's been really good. When so, let me think. It seems like the reception's been really good, but I'm not sure it's doing what I intended the book to do. Mm. So one thing that I was hoping to do with the book is like increase the sales on independent books and stuff. Yeah. I'm not seeing that happening in store. I mean, it could be happening potentially everywhere else. Maybe it's happening to a small degree, yeah. um, but that's, that's the one thing it's whenever I see it on social media, it's like, there's definitely a celebration for it and stuff, but I don't want the book to be a qualifier for any black comic books being produced. Like one of the things that I've seen that I definitely want to like, prevent from happening in the future is um that you know somebody mentioned how hey we made it we're in the access guide right oh okay like, right and, and and really like it's it's it should be the opposite like mm-hmm. we have at the end of the book we have a um an email to mention any corrections that people want to make or any books we might have missed right right the the personal goal is like more to discover and 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 we succeed in this part we like learn more about the industry itself. We got a better picture of the industry. One of the things that we researched was like what the positions in other publishers are that have POC people, not just black people. Yeah. Um, and in, in that process, we learned that 
the fact is that most that a lot of publishers are just a lot smaller than we think they are. So there may be a lack of representation in a, a publisher, but also we would learn that, hey, there's um, three or four people. They're all family members who are publishing. So like you can kind of forgive that, you know, in yeah. a sense if making some kind of an effort. So the reception has been really good, but I can't help but think this isn't the work. This is only the beginning of the work. Ultimately, the book itself, its existence is, I guess, gratifying. Yeah. But I don't feel like we're servicing as well as we could. And that's that's going to be the direction of the next book for sure. We're actually going to feature podcasts uh, with Black creators that talk about comic books. So, and and the purpose of that is to Will's just- Will's got like, a face right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the purpose of that is um, to get people to obviously tune into more podcasts like your own, because I feel like with COVID, there's obviously less convention stuff. So I actually think that podcasts and um, just videos and stuff are providing the community, the sense of community that uh, conventions are missing right now. Mm. Right. And so theoretically, if the book itself if, if we haven't successfully steered people to more indie books, maybe the podcast can give that connection to steer people towards indie books later. And the other thing was we were distributed through Diamond and that in itself felt like a triumph. The fact that we got like yeah. worldwide distribution, that's what the fair was about, was just celebrating that, hey, like every store potentially had the chance to order it. A lot of stores did. I know we were distributed in England and Canada for sure. Awesome. Um, so that was a celebration for that, like how we kind of reached that next level. And uh, the fair itself, like on its own, was super successful. Like the fact that we were able to pull it off safely, mm-hmm. we did it all outdoors and stuff. The fact that people in the neighborhood who were discouraged in uh, collecting comics saw that there were black creators drawing them, drawing things that are like popular and stuff like Jamal Eigel, who draws Supergirl. Yeah, I think that was a that was a success. But the fair was just a separate accomplishment than the book itself. Sure. Um, it, it, it stemmed from the book, but it was a separate accomplishment than itself. So I would say overall, like the reception has been good. But being a Virgo, I, I'm not letting myself be satisfied with. Uh... <laughs> I think that's good. I'm, I'm glad that you're not like doing this one thing and then putting a feather in your cap, dusting your hands and, and walking away from like the cause or, or, or like the mission for like filled with glorious purpose, man. You, you have glorious purpose and this is, but one of your infinity gems. I appreciate it. Will. And uh, I know that's because I said I was going to mention podcasts. So, you know, I appreciate the, uh, (laughs) 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 actually, to the infinity gems uh joke so the other thing was that we did a um pride fair during pride month right i didn't organize it my friend john who uh, unfortunately he's currently in the hospital right now um undergoing cancer treatment and stuff but um he's been a huge proponent a huge helper to the store he organized a pride fair just because like he felt well number one he helped uh create flame con which was the first and maybe possibly biggest queer uh, centric convention. And so he just like felt like doing a fair for the store in June um, due to the lack of edge. And so somebody had mentioned in passing, Hey, when are you guys going to do a black fair on Twitter? 
And I just did my best bureaucratic, like, you know, when, when we have the opportunity, you know, of course we will. And John just said, <laughs> let's do one. Let's do one uh, uh, right now. Like let's do one for the access guide. Right. And so he actually got the ball rolling. He organized most of his stuff. That's and um, so the joke was though, that after the pride fair and the access guide fair, I also this year appeared in a French documentary about women in comics. They interviewed <laughs> Chris Claremont. They wanted, not, not together, but they were in Brooklyn. These French people, they were in Brooklyn. They interviewed uh, Chris Claremont and they interviewed me uh, shortly afterwards. Yeah. Um, because they wanted the retailer's perspective of women shopping in comic books. Sure. Right. And I uh, jokingly said that I'm collecting the infinity stones of representation so I can be <laughs> cancelable <laughs> later on. <laughs> amazing uh, well hey so we asked about the shop we asked about access guide uh my girlfriend's uh jewish so that's my fourth stone there you go yeah <laughs> uh i want to give you some space to to plug uh the comics that you make as well because it turns out that you had just hit every single aspect of the comics industry uh like well, a madman seriously <laughs> well the comics is actually what i wanted to do man i just <laughs> Like when I was working at Midtown, I didn't have the time to do them. So yeah. then I'm like, and I felt guilty on like writing scripts and shit on the job. So then I, oh, you got to not feel guilty. That's that's the big. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 then I'm like, all right, well, let me open up my own store so that I would feel less guilty about writing a script at the store, which I ended up like. I don't recommend that path. You do not have time to write scripts when you uh, own a yeah. business. Unfortunately. But uh, yeah, this this I I call myself a comic writer, and uh, the ownership is just my side hustle. That's 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 absolutely real. <laughs> that's <build>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I created a comic book in uh, 2016 called uh, "Millennials, You Are Special." They are hunted down by giant robot college debt collectors. <laughs> the theme is uh, Buzz Girl, who's got nanobots that are also her social media followers. Mr. Hideous, who's a porcupine monster and a influencer, takes selfies. Uh, Cyberbully, who's a robot, a femme-identifying robot who uh, talks trash while playing every online game. And, uh, oh, Know-It-All, who uh, creates any app to get them out of any situation, uh, whatever app is needed. He's kind of the forge uh, of the group. Entitled Man, who absorbs white privilege and redirects into energy blasts. And uh, <laughs> lastly, and lastly, the their secret, their mentor is uh, the trust funder. He's the one who funds up operations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a, I have a few issues mapped out. We only managed to put out four. Um, my favorite one being number three, actually, where they meet the most powerful millennial, but uh, he never leaves the apartment. Like <laughs> Phoenix, but completely uh, does not. Con crystal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. Like a, a Jaff from the end. Yeah, just never leaves, though. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, a lot of fun book. Do you have Do you have anything uh, more to say about that, or or uh, it, you really you really can't get it anywhere except for except through anyonecomics.com. So I guess it, it, in 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 uh, in true millennial exclusivity fashion, it, yeah, right. You know. <laughs> and believe me, I shopped it around. Uh, you can also get the pros on anyonecomics.com though if you're yeah. interested in Steve's comic. You can indeed. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, that's all there is. Awesome. Will, do you have any more questions for Demetrius before we talk? Um, um, no, but I really appreciate you hopping on and hanging out with us for a little bit. I just received my confirmation text message that my order has been placed for oh. for, for the uh, access book. Um, it was out on anyonecomics.com. And so I had to go to a different supplier. But what the fuck? It's out? It said How? sold out on your website. So. That's impossible. Got <laughs> <laughs> like 500 copies. It's... <laughs> <laughs> so I bought it from a place in Durham, North Carolina, and that's where my dad is from. So I, I called it a win. You know what? We sent comp copies to uh, uh, all the black comic stores that we featured there. So and North Carolina actually had the highest concentration of black owned comic stores. So you're good. You're good, my friend. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> Next time you're back in the old country visiting family, Will. God, yeah. Oh my gosh. Check like, out those. Uh, those I'm shops. not gonna like this. Uh, this pod has definitely kind of inspired me to be a little more vocal in the uh, black comic book community. Awesome. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm in in, uh, in in your section of California, man, like you've got so much pull by virtue of how much. It, uh, frankly is on your shoulders to represent man yeah <laughs> yeah I mean? uh so thank you for putting this fire under my ass that i didn't know i had uh, <laughs> but yeah i i I, uh, I hope to have more conversations with you in the future man this is fun hey, call 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 the store i'm usually bored although i'll be on vacation <laughs> <laughs> did did you want to stick around to taunt us about dawn of x or did you want to head on out i got nothing better to do so you have nothing better to do except not go to dinner. So for canceling dinner plans. <laughs> yeah, at this point. Okay. They, 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 they called me livid uh, about how I missed it. And uh, they were waiting for me for 20 minutes, apparently. Oh, oh you no. already missed it. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Well, okay. what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Cancel me? I'm the hey. author of the access guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay uh yeah okay so um hawks pox and docs yeah post dawn of x big picture questions i've got a small list here that i wanted to, to go through first is just like there's just you know we talked about this from the very beginning but i wanted to bring it back up now that we're finished with this first sort of act of hickman's run on x-men and that's just the fact that everything feels weird and kind of fucked. And I mean, that's a tonal thing for Hickman in a large extent, like his yes. comics, they're very like, they have a very cold tone to them. People don't mm. speak much and everything is kind of takes place outside. You know, you, you get people's like masks, their stone face they They don't, they don't open up a whole lot. And mm -hmm. a lot of the things that can, and he's very terse with words and he makes every panel count for so much that you don't have a whole lot of just like feeling a lot of the time. And that's especially, you know, the case with, uh, for example, Xavier with the helmet over his eyes most of the time just yeah. looking hella creepy yeah. um, so in the however hundreds of however many issues these 16 volumes are i think we see his face two maybe three times i remember two times yeah yeah it's kind of weird and so uh, to, to your point <laughs> yeah uh uh isn't it a repeated theme where uh you have these helmeted people like where you 
lose some of their features, certainly their eyes, which would normally be where you get the expression of a person. So like, yeah, Reed Richards, uh, yep. the evil one, right? Yeah. Um, Ultimate oh, Reed. The uh, and then um, uh, East of West as well. Okay. The, the kid in the with the ball, um, the son of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has the two repeated themes I see in character design is that person, and there's usually like a pale, yes, um, solid white figure, right? A colorless figure, right? I, I believe yes. you guys would have met that character at the yeah, the summoner from summoner. Rocco. Yeah. So th- I I just wanted to check in on our feelings of of you know how much of this is you know that they're really foreboding something terrible going on on Krakoa that this is all you know it is this is there like an ominous like it feels like an ominous portent to me and I just wanted to check in about how much of that is just the inherent tone of Hickman and how he writes and how much of that is the story that they're telling and is actually backed up by whatever the fuck is actually going on on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like it's gotta be something bad. I, so, okay. I can't, I still can't, I still can't shake the memory of him coming back of how he's been reborn uh, before he got shot on, on Krakoa. You're talking like, about um, the Phantom X body and call me X yeah. and all that. Okay. Yeah. I didn't read any of that. So yeah. So his psyche, <laughs> when he died, uh, when, when Cyclops killed him, his psyche got imprisoned by shadow King and that's kind of, and then the whole, how are we going to bring Xavier back? Oh, let's just make him somebody's prisoner on a psychic plane <laughs> and, and then give him a new body later uh, because comics. So I feel like maybe perhaps there's some sort of like psychic plant or something that has like, that's got Xavier screwed up. Because when he took over Phantom X's body and rewrote it at the cellular level, his speech his speech bubbles were black background with white text, uh, so it was it was a negative basically, and he wanted to be called X. And then the next time we see him is literally House of X, and he has this new plan uh, that he's been inspired by a twelve time reborn Mora McTaggart, and uh, he's now finally you know buried every single freaking hatchet that he has between him and, and Magneto and apocalypse and mystique and every other big villain that's ever existed (laughs) for the X-Men, except for like Sauron. And uh, (laughs) they're just like, Hey, let's, let's make an actual nation together. That's actually potentially going to work. Like there's just, it's just, uh... wait, Sauron make an appearance. I don't remember seeing Sauron. No, that's what I said. Except except Sauron. Uh, uh... Okay. <laughs> like I was just going through the Rolodex of X-Men baddies and how all of them that have lasted more than a storyline are all on the, the quiet council <laughs> <laughs> uh, except for Sauron <laughs> and it's just like I have to think I have to think that he's not right because that's the only way it works for me to be this shady and devious and getting he's like the whole invading people's minds psychically thing is like against the entire ethos of Xavier from day one 
Mm. Like he, he, like that's, uh, I, he does it to some people here and there and it ends up being a whole storyline of like him learning his lesson again. But like, <laughs> <laughs> like anytime you get flashbacks of like Xavier in college or him first meeting Mora, he's had, he has this like staunch rule of like, I've learned my lesson. I don't want to invade people's minds. And then he has to go and teach that lesson to, to Jean Grey. And then he, and then, and then it turns out that he didn't live that lessons. And then, and then there's this whole revelation and then he has to apologize or die. And then (laughs) like he, it's just, it's insane to me that this Xavier is this ruthless openly Mm. with his dream and his view of where mutants should be in the world. So not having read that the the storyline with you know Shadow back. King and Phantom X and yeah. you know getting that new body and call me X or whatever, uh, yeah, not having read that because I I literally just started reading again for um, for Hickman's run. It's easier for me to discount that because it's like, well, we have Phantom X now and he hasn't right. made any reference to any of that yeah. in this. And we've got a new like status quo and a new creative team. And like, you know, Hickman's like really forging ahead with his own thing. So like, how much do they really want to draw from from old shit, basically? I mean, yeah. they're drawing from a lot of old shit because they literally have every single mutant who's ever been a character on this fucking island together. Yeah, but, and it's like Sauron. Sauron's not a mutant. Well, Sauron's not a mutant. Yeah. Aren't immune? No, he's no, not. He's the mystical nope. transformation thing. Yeah. He absorbs mutant. Uh, he's it, a mutant it, vampire. He's a he's vampire a, of mutants. He's a vampire, <laughs> but when he absorbs mutants, that's what turns him into pterodactyl man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's not personally a mutant. He doesn't have yeah. an X gene. Yeah. Um, so but apparently all these other people that showed up on freaking uh, Genosha or, and also apparently all the Marauders, like what, eh, whatever. Yeah. Orphan Maker so, and all them. So I, I kind of feel like Xavier, I I my current theory is that he is not the source of the problem. Just that that conversation that he had with with Angel in the uh Empire X-Men book, where he's like, We have a we have a deficit of good people, and I just need mm-hmm. you to be a good person. You're like the most valuable resource right as a good person and like and and yeah and the the extent to which his personal vision is being compromised it's being more fully realized in that compromise because he's basically the entire idea of krakoa is really uh, and you know this is what it gets to in house of x powers of 10 more broadly is it's the combination you know this was more as more as great uh revolution from the future you have to combine xavier and magneto and apocalypse all together so you have um from xavier you have you know living in peace and coexistence but in magneto you have separatism so how do you do that you have a separatist nation but it engages the rest of the world in peace but then from apocalypse you have this idea of you know supremacy of power of of um you know, so they go to Davos and they say, we're, we're here as friends, but also we learned from you and we're going to take you over. That is really like the statement of purpose is all three of their sort of ideologies melding together. And so I see Xavier as a conflicted figure within this, who's trying to hold on to his own part of this, but willing to work for the greater good of all three in order to make the whole thing work. I, my current theory is that it's Krakoa, you know, feeding on the site 
psychic energy of mutants that there's a, a weird sort of like psychic influence on everybody that's making them all go batty or we we've only seen moira in a in flashbacks up until now that's true that was that's another one of my questions i have here is she real um i remember early on well what's cool about um the house of x stuff is uh how of the moment it is how much it embraces being not a comic book but a comic book universe Mm. where reading it in the order that hickman uh puts it through or whoever the person is that puts it through yeah you get to see the ripples of every single issue affecting the other comics and stuff like absolutely maybe excalibur was maybe the one that's like the one that was on the most outs up until now and yet it's into x of swords right right yeah um so yeah so 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 the speculation early on, like literally, I remember the first month with the first issues was that Moira is, has, uh, is, is X, is Professor X. Moira, the reason his face is shielded is to uh, guard like Gene or someone else from discovering it. And then yeah. people were reading into like uh, Professor X's like walk, like he had a more effeminate walk than normal or something like that they were projecting. Huh. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's, like there's nothing like I'm, I'm talking about literally the first month. There's nothing yeah. telling you that right now at this point, like, it, 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 you know, when, when you can't figure out the motivations of a person, it's best to like take them at face value. Yeah. Um, Professor X is creating a nation. He is trying to work with everybody. And so he's making the compromise he needs to make. Right. Let me see. You guys are okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to be careful not to make any spoilers and stuff. We appreciate um, it. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, much. Uh, Cyclops, I think, who's been like a kind of a focal point in the fact that he's kind of he's more uh, uh, an arm that's executing the desire of Professor X and the Quiet Council, right? Yeah. Um, if you look at him as like the focal point um, of the story, since he's pretty much the only one who's been consistently appearing in the X-Men title in the main X-Men title, you see that Cyclops has kind of surrendered a little bit of the, uh, of his independence. He's certainly not the Cyclops we know from dark reign. He's not the guy that like created another mutant nation known as Utopia in 2012. Right. Like he's not the guy, like the guy who was furious at Xavier for hiding the fact that he had a brother um that guy is like gone he's he's very comfortable being like completely subservient to professor x at this point right yep so so if we take it all at the face value then it, it's simply that the x-men or means in general are surrendering to the idea that they have the mutual goal of wanting an independent nation and wanting to be recognized as such and then wanting to show that they have enough power to force other humans to respect their uh sovereignty and stuff right right and yet it, i mean yeah. maybe maybe the takeaway to all this is that nation states are terrible maybe this is just the anarchist <laughs> coming out but <laughs> you know like but you see that a lot in a title like X-Force, where it's like they self-consciously went out to create the mutant CIA. And well, they did. Now they're doing like internment camps. And, <laughs> you know, like Whoa. it's uh, it seems to be very much calling into doubt the the morality of the entire project to begin with. But then uh, that, that, that makes it even more fascinating because like you have um, 
X-Force. And then I think at this point you have Hellions, correct? You guys have been reading some Hellions? Yeah, we've, re- we've so, read some Hellions, some X-Factor, Cable, Wolverine. Yeah. Right. Well, to me, Wolverine, it's, it's basically another X-Force title. So there's nothing else beyond like <laughs> sure. we could talk about Wolverine X-Force in the same breath. But uh, Hellions is now like an even a, a separate project, like a, an unethical project by Mr. Sinister um, that's kind of operating with the Quiet Council approval, but also like, yeah, is deeply unethical for the most part. Right. He's like essentially right. torturing these uh, problematic characters and stuff, uh, sending them on these suicide missions. The, the, there, there is the p- personal motivation and then that gets hidden or set to the side for that grand uh, idea of uh, Krakoa, that idea of the mutant nation and stuff, which I think we all know is going to inevitably be taken away at some point, either the near future or the far future, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And and you got to wonder, like, just I, I, I still think something weird and sinister is up with Krakoa itself. Just the idea that it feeds off the psychic energy of mutants. You got a lot of people who are acting a lot chummier with each other than they have any right to be considering all their history. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that Krakoa is good. G- you know, a giant monster island that eats people. And I don't know, they've got Sabretooth down there. I know he's going to come back at some point and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. I actually don't think the Krakoa was, is more of a, uh, like a force. Like I, I could agree to that thought if we, if we can, let's say, decide that Moira is the driving force behind Krakoa or mm. maybe Magneto or Apocalypse or Exodus or something like that. But Krakoa's never been depicted as like a um, like like e- even even if even if you're right, there's a mindlessness to Krakoa. Uh, the last That's time we see, the last time we've seen Krakoa before this was uh, in the really goofy and I think at this point underappreciated uh, uh, Jason Aaron Wolverine the X Men. Yes. Um, and he but was that like, was just a Krakoa spawn. That was Kid right, Krakoa. Gross. That wasn't. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, did we find out what happened to the spawn? I assume that the spawn is what grew up to this current Krakoa, or am I wrong? I assume that this was the original Krakoa brought back from orbit. So then where's the spawn in that case? Is that referenced anywhere? I don't know. I, I mean, this was and, the same Krakoa the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 the, and the other thing is um, um, when they were doing the X-Men run before this one, like the Charles Soule astonishing X-Men and then the Matt Rosenberg uncanny X-Men run where they killed off most of, most of the characters, including right. like, Wolfsbane and stuff. And then they had Age of X-Men. It, it seemed like they all knew that they were going to dive into House of X and House of X was going to be the defining X-Men moment. And so like they just did whatever. So I actually wouldn't yeah. put stock into the astonishing X-Men. I mean, it's possible. They, they've certainly started referencing more and more of the pre-House of X stuff uh, yeah. um, at this point. But like I, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into like Charles Soule's Astonishing X-Men or any kid X-Men part of the uh, great plan in any way. Fine. Um, yeah, sorry. That, that's my <laughs> That's take. fine. It's fine. I understand. Will wants I'm, everything I'm, to mean something because it's I'm the only terrible. thing that justifies him, his insane project of reading everything. If, <laughs> if not everything is connected, then what am I doing? <laughs> well, have we seen uh, Shadow King lately? I think Shadow King would be the, the He was only in the back. He was in the background of the assault on uh, Genosha during Empire. Oh, okay. So he, he is a Krakoan resident and Selene, which... Wow! <laughs> yeah, two two characters who 
have never shown much interest, not just in, you know, mutant human coexistence, but mutant affairs at all. They yeah, just, yeah. they're just self-interested completely. So yeah, yeah. I believe it would, uh, we would benefit from rereading House uh, Hawks and Pox. As we've been talking, I've been flipping through and Moira is pretty close to Krakoa. Really? She's, she's hanging out in this place. It's on Krakoa and uh, in Moira's no place. The last scene of the last issue of the book is her getting a check-in update from Magneto and, and Charles. And she's basically like, okay, I assume we have our government now. And like, yep, the quiet council has their first meeting tomorrow. Hmm. And they go over the roles, like who is on each um, council seat, like each table, the autumn and the fall or the yeah. autumn and winter and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're talking about how like, yeah, it basically it's, it's going generally as we assumed mystique was hard to get. We had to make some promises and she's like, what did you promise? And we're like, Oh, that we'd bring destiny back. And Mara's like, you know, you can't fucking do that. We cannot have precogs on Krakoa. And they're like, yeah, I know, I know. No, do you know? <laughs> they're like, yes, yes. And like, the, she, like she gets heated, and, but she is, she's living on Krakoa. And she's like, what are you going to do when they find out the truth? And, both Magneto and Charles are like, eventually they do deserve to know the truth. And she's like, you want them to all know that we always lose. And they're like, we're different this time. And that's the end of that conversation. And then they go, and then I'm sure you remember like the party yeah. of Krakoa. So this is, yeah. that was the conversation that Charles and Xavier, Char that Charles and Magneto were having right before that party. Okay. Yeah. And it's them talking to Mora, who's on Krakoa, which I yeah. thoroughly forgot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I read this, a, you know, so a long she's just time been ago. chilling in her no place for a year, just fucking yeah. twiddling yeah. her thumbs. Yeah. Like, and, and it's questionable if anyone else other than Professor X Magneto even know that she's there. Presumably, they all at this point would still think she's dead from the legacy virus. Right. And think that she's a human in the first place. Right. Yeah. Which, so there's only that's two a, that's a, an interesting oh, yeah. way that that affects that plot line from the 90s X-Men. One of the things I've enjoyed most about my reread is seeing every scene in which Moira is in under <laughs> the new context of her being this like, you know, uber manipulative, uh, essentially like person who knows absolutely everything and yeah. is secretly a mutant and and got the legacy virus and was like oh yeah jump to humans like all of this shit like right. it, it's been a yeah. lot of fun tracking 90s I, era, uh, pretending that this was the plan all along i i i hate I owe my pet peeve in comics and superhero comics is uh, human allies being uh, super powered characters afterwards. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I hate when it happens to Jimmy Olsen. I hate when it happens <laughs> to Moira. Like, I hate, like, I, I, like, to me, our comics should evolve more towards plain, like, valuing plain clothes people and, like, appreciating the, her uh, the heroism of, like, just normal people eventually. And so, like, it's always, like, a step backwards mm -hmm. for me that, like, you take somebody like Renee Montoya, uh, a, a, like, cop who manages to survive in Gotham City, you know, with Joker and uh, whatever, Penguin and all these, like, lunatics running around in the world of Batman and suddenly she's, you know, the question now. She's now as good of a fighter as like, I hate that. So like, I really dislike, I, I still dislike it on principle, the uh, Mario McTaggart thing. Like, 
She's the one human character they had. They had the revelation <laughs> yeah. to say that Cecilia Reyes was a mutant. Uh, Cecilia Reyes was always a mutant. Was she always a mutant? Yeah, yeah. You might be confusing her with Stevie Hunter. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm confused with Stevie Hunter. Goddamn, I'm racist. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like, so, so like, so, but like Moira McTyre was like their one consistent human ally. And like, you know, you lose that perspective, that like civilian perspective doing their best to, uh, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, yeah. I'm totally with you. On the other hand, it's an incredibly Hickman thing to be like, oh, this thing that you thought worked exactly like this. It actually works like this. This, this entire underpinning that you expected this whole time. I'm just going to throw this little wrinkle in here. How, how do you like the uh, reading uh, Moira's appearances, knowing that in one of her past lives, she was Apocalypse's bride? Uh, yeah. 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 Right? No, it's wild. <laughs> right? It, it, it completely changes your reading of every single Moira appearance. And so many of them, like there's, there's one plot line where she like it goes into Magneto's brain or so they regressed Magneto to infancy at one point, or he got, it wasn't her, but like then when he was a baby, she like, you know, claimed to fix something in his brain that made him uh, like some sort of chemical imbalance or abnormality that made him prone to violence. And that was sort of the uh, impetus for his entire redemption arc throughout the eighties. And then when the adjectiveless X-Men started up, he was he found out that they messed with his brain and that's what caused him to break bad again to turn back into a villain and you just look at this and you're like oh moira's meddling she's (laughs) screwing with magneto's brain she knows what's gonna happen this is all foretold it's yeah it's a lot of fun but but, by the way i really like uh in the adjectiveless x-men on a side note when we are introduced to the acolytes and like we don't know half of their names so there's like room to like explore who they are later that's like a very classic claremont thing i think yeah totally and then they kill them all off and and make new acolytes but (laughs) okay yeah we also we've known about the coming or we've known about araco since house of x as well oh have we okay i'm gonna need to do some rereading here then yeah it's a story that krakoa tells uh doug ramsey about there was we were okara the one land uh mm-hmm. and then the twilight sword split them into two orako and krakoa and from the chasm between the two these baddies appeared and apocalypse fought them off and he sent his four horsemen down and he pushed orako and the four horsemen into back into the chasm to save the world oh and now, god and now okay. krakoa is by himself twilight sword this cable sword thing mm-hmm. x of swords mm-hmm. coming up. Right. I mean, he pulled, it, he pulled it from the paw of one of those monsters. So, yeah. There's also so. Uh, X Men 2 talks about Araco, issue number two. That, right? That's the yeah. arrival of Araco yeah. uh, to Krakoa and them merging. And then now we have having uh, doubling the size of the island and then having monsters and stuff. But um, yeah, the uh, this is the third example I've come across, two of, two of which were today. Uh, that I feel like I need to go back and read this again. Yeah. Um, The other one is I was trying to, over the last week, I was trying to find the one comic cell that referred to a fourth Summers brother. And um, since then, since I've, when I came, when I saw that years ago, since then, uh, all of those references have been replaced with a, with a, 
uh, hinting towards of other Summers brothers in House of X. Huh. That's okay. from Sinister's notes. And he says, you know, would you believe me if I said that those two Summers brothers weren't the only ones on the plane that crashed? Probably not. And then he just leaves it at that. So <laughs> like it's it's easy enough to write off as, oh, just Gabe, even though Gabe was uh, born way later on the Shi'ar prison world. Mm. So maybe now that's the that's the go to of like, oh, there could be a fourth. Um, and it's completely flooded all of my Google searches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't find that one reference to a fourth Summers brother okay. anymore. Well, it didn't me you- off. The part where they revealed Krakow was a fourth Summers brother. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it, uh, it jumped out of the plane and managed to go all the way to the South Pacific and uh, turned into an island. Well, it's a floating island. It just swam as an island. Being a said, swam over. But yeah, um, dude, there's so much that I've met that. I think we missed because we well, we, well yeah. I turbo read this. I read this all in one night. Oh yeah, I read it on a plane. because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I feel couldn't like stop I need to go myself. back. Yeah, right. Because uh, it's so fucking good. Actually, the first reference to Araco was in uh, the Terry Cavanaugh X Men series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How been on record. How dare you? Been <laughs> on record said that he drew the most inspiration from that run. <laughs> all right okay um, rude so i wanted i wanted to close this out with um uh unless you guys have more to say but uh i just wanted to do some quick a uh, lightning round of where are we going and exoswords predictions that uh demetrius can laugh at us about because he's I already could, read me, it okay we're gonna do this lightning round but let me ask one question yeah yeah Demetrios, when you were reading these, did yeah. you come to hate Beast as much as I do? Um, I like Beast a lot. I guess I relate to him. Um, no, I just, I guess I hate. No, 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 I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't like. It's, 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 Beast it's more pisses of a, me off. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's more of a wait and see thing. I mean, like, did I'm yeah. assuming you guys read New Avengers, right? Where Beast was one of the uh, Infinity Stone holders and stuff, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. He was pretty, uh, pretty, you know, yeah, more um, compromised there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, he never wanted to blow up a planet. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was a decision. I, but he, only but he was, but he was willing to be within. He was willing to be in that circle. He didn't pull a T'Challa and say, "This is outrageous. You know, I'm not. Actually, I'm not going to be a part my of this." Fa- my favorite part of him being on the that version of the Illuminati is. T'Challa and Reed Richards having a conversation about what they can do and Beast admitting that he was lost. <laughs> he was like, I don't understand what you guys are saying. And I was like, damn! I Hickman. mean, that's because he's a biologist. He's a right. biochemist. He's not a fucking <laughs> theoretical physicist. Stop making all science the same science. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> do you think that uh, Hag McCoy is the uh, dark beast like some fans were theorizing? That has Biden. crossed my mind. Yeah. Because Dark Beast was on Uncanny X Men as right. the prisoner leading up to Age of X Men disassembled, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, 
like I think maybe. that would I think that would be a weak cop out. I think they've, that they've already it's a, done it's it. a more compelling yeah, and I think it's a more compelling story to talk about how sort of a, an intellectual or a technocrat can get sort of talked into uh, doing terrible things in the name of security. Um, during the uh, X Men Utopia stuff, uh, like Beast was the morally outraged guy who then yeah. brought back the Bendis X Men, right? Um, and then, and then that kind of, I think that was already a turning point to vilify Beast, um, right? Like being the guy to like mess with time. I think, I think, unfortunately, the uh, the original X Men thing was uh, Beast's is a Dark Phoenix moment, and so like anything since then is I can easily be attributed mm. to a Dark Phoenix uh, type possession. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know. So like. I, I, it doesn't bother me. It's more like I do like Beast, but like it's more of wait and see thing for me at yeah. this point. Yeah. I guess I guess I've always I've looked to Beast to be a like scientific optimist. Like mm. he 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 finds the light in the bad and tries to grasp it and tries to make the good thing happen or inspire others to make the good thing happen. Yeah, for him, like knowledge and morality, like are self-reinforcing, you know, and that's not at all that cannot exist in Hickman's world. In <laughs> you know, Hickman, like you look at like uh, Manhattan Projects, you know, and it's just all about how these the the being smart leads these great men to do terrible things, or like mm-hmm. you know his all his time with Reed Richards and and uh ultimate read and all that like just being able to think of solutions leads you to be ethically compromised because you always think that you can think your way out of it well what what you're all missing uh in x-men at this point and i think we have it now after x swords but i don't know I, i i can't i can't say uh, wholeheartedly is you're missing the um, audience viewpoint, the viewpoint that you relate to. That's what Beast normally was in the X yeah, prior. Yeah. You don't have the guy in the story asking the questions of like, like actively asking in the scenes, what's going on with Krakoa? Like, what yes. is this? Or like, there's no one like that. And for you, totally. I think, yeah, you're yeah. more bothered by Beast would have normally been that guy because he has been that guy. Right. Um, during the Legacy Virus, he was looking for that cure. He was asking those questions. And like, it, it can't be anyone else because Cyclops, for example, is caught up with like Sinister. He has a shared past with Sinister. Um, uh, and I mean, he's got a, he's right. living with his family now, like, right. Know, he family, man. <laughs> but, but, but Cyclops was never, was never the audience uh, viewpoint. Beast no. is always right. the audience right. point. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. that, and that's why it's hitting you uh, harder. Well, I think that's a really I, good point. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also a point that I made previously, but, uh, he, he, he's the only person who has the level of audience trust that right. you could uh, plug yeah. into that role as the, uh, as the head of X-Force, uh, as the guy in the chair. And, you know, when it spirals so badly, you're not expecting it the whole time. You can tell a story about, you know, things going badly and corruption rather than just like, well, that guy's shit. Well, who God. else was... Ugh. Kitty, Kitty Pride was that person. She famously called Professor X a jerk, yeah. and like she, d- despite her not being accepted uh, by the uh, Krakoa. Yeah, what? She's not. She's not questioning like any of the morality of Krakoa. She's frankly navigating it. Okay, for- I'm sorry. 
I just hyped up about something and that's the name of the podcast. Um, <laughs> the, do you think that Kitty Pride, cause we've only seen her. Didn't she use, no, she teleported with magic to get her tattoos. Yeah. yeah. Do you think she might be accepted by Krakoa now? Like maybe she can use gates now that she's died and been resurrected. Uh, like, I don't. It, 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 well, okay. That, how would okay. that service? I, that would that would be a piece of evidence that something is messed up with Krakoa. That Krakoa is a gatekeeper that is consciously keeping Kitty out for one reason or another. That Krakoa is, you know, uh, that and that it's tied to the resurrection process in some way. That with Domino's resurrection and making the choice for her that she's going to forget the trauma that she explicitly said that she wanted to remember. That uh, it's a connecting link between resurrection and Krakoa and uh, just the sort of weird things that are going on with characterizations and people's brains. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I, it's a stretch. I, I think, it's a stretch. I, I think she's still unable to go use the gates. We'll see. But I think it, it's just so interesting comparing her being straight up blocked by the gate like a wall versus uh, when Franklin was uh, had his X gene masked, he just walks right through. So like humans mm. just walk through the gate and don't actually teleport. Whereas Kate specifically is just walking into a wall. It's not even it's not mm. it recognizes her as a mutant, but it specifically doesn't want her using the gate. Yeah, right. And, and normally a person like that would be questioning the system a little bit more actively. You would make her the protagonist, but again, yeah. she's, she's she's like, okay, let's get more people to this island. Like, I believe in this thing. I whatever well, reason, I have my own problem. I think that's consistent with Kitty or with Kate. She's like, she's really like the the most successful like vision of uh, or like manifestation of the X Men vision. Like, she grew up with this. She's yeah. and she's the one who you've you know you've seen grow up with this in in a more real way where she has like adult mentors. Did you read a, Did you read a Kitty Pride Agents of Shield from 1997? I just read it like a couple months ago or a few weeks ago. Okay, I suppose. Cool. So dumb, so <laughs> unbelievably dumb. You remember how they almost did 9/11 in that? In no. The- I didn't yeah. read it. I remember the ads for it, but I didn't read it. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's, oh God. Okay. We did a pod on this a few weeks ago, so I don't want to blame the point too much, but basically shield shows up. GW bridge shows up at uh mirror Island because they, the computers don't, they can't get the computers to work. And it's really like boomer man being like, Hey, grand granddaughter, can you program my VCR for me? They're, they're, they will only react to Kitty Pride. It turns out it's Ogun is the ghost in the machine. That guy's so annoying. But anyway, that's uh, the. So the helicarrier is going haywire and they, it like goes into this crash dive and they like pull it out from, it goes underneath the Brooklyn bridge and then they pull it up and then it flies towards Manhattan and it almost crashes into the, the world trade center, but that oh. goes in between the towers and it's like, Oh my God, they almost did a nine 11, you know, four years before the fact. Whoa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's a good note to end your podcast, Sod Fellas. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I got to get moving. Um, do, you, do you have any predictions for X of Swords? Me? Yeah, Will. Um, I, I'm starting to question if there's going to actually be 10 swords that we care about. But I think it might be more like a cross of swords. Also, there right. was I, in my pack, I saw a free comic book day comic that kind of talked about like it, it it went through the tarot and it was the 10 of swords as a tarot card that the, had some uh, symbolic importance that free comic day book is completely reprinted in the uh first x of swords story oh it is so, like, x of swords not creation spaces or destruction maybe okay so you're not missing you won't yeah. be missing anything no no okay. it'll be in there okay cool um i uh, uh so yeah. i am i am interested to see how the events of like other world and saturnine and all that stuff are going to affect actual Krakoa yeah instead of just have it kind of centered on um Apocalypse and, and Excalibur so that can be interesting hopefully um but I don't I don't have any major pre- predictions it's more I really hope that this propels uh more X-Men story so I can see more of like the goings on of the background in Krakoa. Yeah. Like how, you know, how is how's uh will the council will Quiet Council get involved with Apocalypse's shenanigans? How are they going to react? What, you know, what's going to happen next? I'm I'm very interested. Yeah. How do you guys how do you guys like the Excalibur comic overall up to date? It's all right. Um, kind of I, I would say it's probably one of the weaker ones, but I, I like the the total Don of X thing so much that I'm I'm enjoying it just because I enjoy reading the whole the whole caboodle. Mm-hmm. Well, considering the that stuff was kind of fun. C- considering that uh uh it's uh like essentially encompassing all of X of Swords. Do you anticipate it's going to derail some of uh, having, imagining some of Excalibur being in, let's say, X Force or uh, X Men, or um, do you feel like it's going to derail some of the storytelling in in it? Any capacity? I I think Excalibur reached such a you know before Don uh, X of Swords reached such a like a point of like. It, it feels like it really finished off a storyline that I'm ready for something new from Excalibur for, from this. Um, and it seems, uh, I, I think the sword Excalibur being, you know, and, and the personhood of Captain Britain being, you know, the big part of, of the, the conflict, I'm sure. Um, I will say, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm not a huge fan of this reimagining of Richter into yeah. an external, like he's well. The, I think the point was everybody was an external, not specific. Right, 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 right. But well, so the uh, Richter is the closest to becoming an external, but then the whole apocalypse saying, guys, of the two things that we can do that make us externals, Krakoa is making it so all mutantdom can get revived. So we need to uh we're no longer like useful or special or whatever but um <laughs> and all those 90s characters just sucked so may as yeah. well find a good reason to, good uh, way to good place to put them <laughs> but changing richter into this like druid uh plant kind of uh controller guy whereas he's always been like seismic vibration stuff from my perspective um, is kind of odd to me. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, okay, I guess I should say 
it will be, it's odd to me now, but how interesting would it be if this is what happens when you mix a mutant power with magic? Mm-hmm. Like it becomes like not a secondary mutation like what Emma Frost has, but it becomes like the quote from Apocalypse's view, the finalized version of your mutant power is like that. That's what that's what Richter is. Mm like the the marrying of an x gene and magic and this is what you get that could be interesting and then so to to demetrios's point excalibur spilling into other titles maybe that influence could be like you know maybe glob uh being inspired to see what kind of uh, what would happen to his mutant power it, manifestation if uh, magic got involved or uh, this, that, and the other thing. That could be kind of fun. There's a, I've seen two examples of magic being combined in mutant powers. One was the original Inferno, right? Like, Oh God. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Revived, um, yeah, the X Men, and so, uh, and and then he essentially gave him the additional power of being masked by. Uh, I oh guess well, the- that that wasn't Inferno. That was Fall of the Mutants. That was Rome. oh right, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, which led into Inferno. I, I always uh, combined yeah. my but um, but. Inferno magic and mutant power has created a doorway from limbo to earth, summoning demons through. Uh, and that was Madeline Pryor. Right. And then the other example I've seen uh, of magic being come up is, of course, uh, Madeline Pryor's other claim to fame, X Man by Terry Cavanaugh. It's just <laughs> essential reading overall, you know? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I'm still bothered. I'm still bothered that the Quiet Council denied revival for Madeline Pryor. Whoa. What about That's... Nate Gray? They're just gonna ignore Nate Gray. Exactly. Yes. Well, Nate, like yes. I mean, Nate Gray uh is his own character. Laura <laughs> Kinney is her own character. They are both clones of existing mainline characters. Yeah. Would should should they not be brought back if and when they die? Uh yeah, they should be brought back. Yeah. Exactly. Clones, clones yeah, clones are alive. They should be brought back. Yeah. So why not Madeline Pryor? Oh, it's dumb. Uh, I, I direct think it's clone versus a modified clone. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 mostly to it's mostly because uh Madeline Pryor is also like directly Sinister's possession versus like Laura Kinney is like completely separated from the Weapon X program that created her. And certainly the Weapon X program is not even part of the mutant uh, nation at all. And uh, also, uh, I mean, the the most straightforward reason is Madeline Pryor is Scott's ex-wife who he abandoned and would rather forget. She's she's, she's the ultimate, you know, uh, expression of, you know, uh, him not being such a good dude and he has a lot of power and he would rather put all of that behind him. So do you think the council asked Scott's opinion and he said no? Whoa. I certainly certainly don't think he, I mean, he, he admitted as much to Alex uh, at the end of the that uh, volume of Hellions, but he certainly didn't push for it. He didn't fight for it, sure. But like, we also didn't see that conversation. That's like, I, think, uh, I mean, also his wife. <laughs> he's in a throuple. Like he could have had his own gene. <laughs> Just let Gene be with Wolverine <laughs> and he could have <laughs> Madeline and it would have been fine. That no, house is effed up anyway. <laughs> that <laughs> Madeline like, <sighs> Well, Alex would have Madeline, maybe. I, I think oh, yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Well, so all the more, like, maybe Scott was like, I do not advise bringing her back. 
I, I, I very much like the idea of mutants already being so corrupt that they're hiding their, I would argue, sex crimes. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. Victims and stuff. Oh, that's yeah. totally, totally what's going on. <laughs> but but the if they did, they just remove that memory from Madeline when they revive her. Right. You have but, to remove a lot of memories yeah, in order to get her to fine. <laughs> yeah. But like I just it's, it's like that, like it's, but it, then it, it was it, it was the fact that she didn't have memories at all and was a puppet and a clone that drove her crazy in the first place. Yeah. And also being dumped by her husband so that he could go play superhero with his dead ex-girlfriend but that's beside the point right <laughs> i don't know man it's it's and it's something that's going to stand out in the back of my head for quite some time but also this is coming from a guy who stands for uh peter parker and all the clones that he has running around <laughs> uh, 616 alone <laughs> but uh yeah i don't i don't know man it's I, I just, I don't see, I don't agree that they can pick and choose uh, which clones they bring back. Uh, you've just made me reimagine uh, Cyclops as effectively the Bill Clinton of Krakoa. And I suppose where's Madeline the lie? And, and then Madeline is his Monica Lewinsky, like someone who is completely, I who did, did nothing not. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> completely shamed right. by you know the world well, that's where they screwed Where's up madeline the didn't write a book <laughs> yeah she just madeline opened wrote a up book a, instead of just, just yeah. revived a bunch of reavers so, but instead then, like, of all the opening reavers... a demon gate to new york city <laughs> but so but they're bringing the all the original reavers back or marauders oh, sorry, I mean, the the original the legacy classic marauders, marauders. Yeah. legacy marauders that's what they call them they're bringing them back. Like, uh, dude, dude, you just gave me a perfect idea for a t-shirt. The Readywood comics. Hashtag uh, Madeline was right. Cause I'm no, already on close, that boat. Close free Madeline. <laughs> oh, yes. Leave Madeline prior alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just like, man, it, uh, I, I feel I, bad for Madeline. Yeah. As much yeah. shit as she's done. Absolutely. Okay. Wait, I, I have, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Madeline is under a conservation ship by Krakoa right now. There we go. Oh, there we Lord. go. Yeah. She's fighting oh, for her legal rights to be revived. <laughs> be revived, man. Yeah. If, okay. Well, here's the extra, here's an actual reason. Um, is, did Madeline ever show any precognitive abilities? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she has. Okay. So yeah, they yeah. can't bring back cre- precogs. Oh, that's a good point. Probably yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. As the Goblin Queen, she has. Yeah. Okay. Damn. Damn. Well, that answered my <laughs> question. All right. Okay. <laughs> Damn. Ooh. Mora. Okay, whatever. All right. Okay. I can't I can't wait to keep on reading this, dude. I, yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. psyched <laughs> so on, on the X books. The only the only prediction that I have just to in the interest of closing this out. So the next era of X books is called Reign of X. And I'm assuming that that's because we're moving from the the sort of you know, budding statecraft or the creation of the Krakoan state, you know, you've got making all of these institutions like the 
uh, detective agency and the spy agency and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the trading company uh, mm-hmm. to just flat out being in charge of world affairs. Yeah. I, I don't I don't exactly know how that's going to happen through the conflict that they've set up, maybe something to do with Jamie Braddock and magic, but that's or, or Captain Britain and weird British nationalism or something. I don't know, but that's where my head's at. Uh, I want to read the X-Men book that establishes the sanitation agency and other like money. Bring it, like bring it on. Yes. I want all I want. Yeah. (laughs) I want, I want to know their water. I want to know their zoning plans. I want to know. District X. Yeah, Jean Paul didn't even yes. uh, file any, or no, Lorna didn't file any papers. No to create, permit. No to permitting. The house for of Bones the or whatever. Fucking giant ass boneyard. Boneyard. Yeah. yeah. The bone zone. Okay. <laughs> well, good man. That was well, that was good. a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. D, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, that's pleasure. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks. Thanks for we'll me. have to have you back sometime. Uh, anybody who wants to follow Demetrios's work. Uh, go to anyonecomics.com, anyonecomics.comichub.com. Check out the books there. Uh, grab yourself a copy of Access Guide to uh, Black Comic Book Community. I'm sure it will be back in stock shortly. After he updates his stock numbers on his website. Yeah. Yes. I believe it's out of stock. All right, I'll fix it. <laughs> and, uh, and you can also follow Demetrios uh, at, anyone, at uh, sorry, at Comics Pessimist on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, thanks again. I prefer you follow anyone comics, but if you want the uncensored version, that too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, Uh, guys. Yep. Thanks so much for uh, being on this. And we'll put the outro music here. All right. That's the thing we do all the time. (laughs) That's my my outro. I figured out my outro after six months. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Take care. Thank you guys.